Welcome to Motherhood Feels. Hindsight is 2020. I'm Dr. Jill Garrett, a licensed psychologist who specializes in maternal mental health and host of Motherhood Feels. Hindsight is 2020. Stay tuned for a delicious Motherhood Feels episode with seasoned mom Lindsay Taylor. Lindsay, who is affectionately known as the food doula, has a master's degree in public health, a certification as a postpartum and infant care doula, and is a pre- and postnatal nutrition expert. She is also the award-winning cookbook author of The Food Doula Cookbook and has a great Instagram page at the.food.doula with tons of practical yet research-supported nutrition advice. She also has a certification course for professionals as well, which is linked in the show notes, but can also be found through her website, thefooddoula.com. Lindsay, who lives in Canada with her family, joins me for the first international podcast episode of Motherhood Feels. Listen in as this charming mom of two girls shares her expertise and engaging spirit with us all. Check her out next. Hey guys, it's me, Jill. Big news. M is for Mom, a Motherhood Feels book, is out now. M is for Mom introduces healthy mental health coping skills in a rhyming storybook format. It's perfect for baby shower gifts, gender reveals, new baby visits, Mother's Day, and even seasoned moms. If you would like to stock up on a go-to baby shower gift, or you'd like to be the first to shower your patients or employees with M is for Mom, Bulk orders can be placed by contacting motherhoodfeels at gmail.com. Head over to motherhoodfeels.com to check out the newly revamped website to get a preview of M is for Mom and to check out available locations to purchase M is for Mom. And as per usual, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple or Spotify. Five-star reviews can't hurt either. You can also follow me on Instagram at motherhoodfeels, all one word, And check out my online course before and even after baby boot camp at motherhoodfeels.com. The downloadable workbook and short videos will walk through evidence-based strategies for healthy coping with all your motherhood feels. Thanks for listening. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you for being here. Hi, Jill. Thanks so much for having me. So why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure, of course. So my name is Lindsay Taylor, and my business is called The Food Doula. So my backstory is I was actually a health researcher. I have my master's degree in public health, and I was focused on many, many years for more than a decade in my career um, working in a health research unit. What was so interesting to me was always, what are we doing with the information that we have from the literature? How are we translating this to actually help people live healthier lives, understand what they need to do in terms of their health behaviors? Because what I would see is that so many of us struggle in this area, right? So if we want to exercise more, eat more healthfully, if we want to tackle addictions, I worked in addictions for many years, we we feel like a failure. It's very hard to do those types of health behavior changes. So when I became pregnant, I the number one topic that I was always interested in in my time in health research and knowledge translation was nutrition. 
when I became pregnant for the first time, I was really eager, right? I was one of those people that was like reading books and I was excited to learn the information, to use it, to incorporate it into my life because I knew intuitively like what we eat, of course it has to matter. It has to play a role here. And then two things sort of happened to me in my first pregnancy experience. One was I was disappointed that I never really got educated from any health provider or just on my journey through that pregnancy and postpartum time. I really felt like nobody really said anything about food and nutrition. And then on the other side, I felt a lot of failure and shame for myself because I felt like I'm supposed to be this health expert. I'm supposed to know about how I'm supposed to fuel myself and support my body in pregnancy and postpartum. And I honestly did nothing different. If I felt like always been, the knowledge is there, but it doesn't really make sense. It's not communicated to us in a way that we're like, okay, I know what to buy at the store. I have a good idea of something I can make in 10 minutes in my kitchen. If I'm feeling nauseous or I have no energy, like that's okay because I have a list of go-to like products I can grab or five 10-minute meal ideas to make, that level of confidence. That to me, I felt like we need to do better. So I started training more nutrition, very focused in the perinatal area. And slowly but surely, what I did first was started an Instagram page where I was sharing some of the research that really was there. It's not like, as you know, we don't have one or two studies on the role of nutrition in pregnancy and postpartum. There's like hundreds. So I started sharing like some of the interesting facts about not not nutrients that were important, but foods that were full of those important nutrients and how to use them in your day to day. So I started sharing recipes on Instagram. And I did this during my full-time job um, as a health researcher for a number of years. And eventually what ended up happening was I got approached by a publisher, actually a local publisher to me here in um, Toronto, who said, I think this could be a really cool book. I think you should write a cookbook. I think you have a unique way of talking about this food thing and nutrition. And so to me, that was like, okay, I can do this. So with that request, I ended up quitting my full-time career, totally pivoted and decided that I was going to go all in on perinatal nutrition from the perspective of let's talk about food. Let's talk about it in a way that makes sense for our real lived experience in pregnancy and postpartum. So I wrote the book and now I support women who are going through that journey, who want some one-on-one support to figure out how to feed themselves to not just meet their nutrient needs, but also feel good, right? Pregnancy and postpartum, it's not like a week. It's like years of our life. We deserve to feel as good as we possibly can from a perspective of how we feel in our body and some of the side effects that we're feeling, side effects as if it's a drug, you know, complications and complaints that we all go through in pregnancy. I don't want women feeling that shame and that guilt that I felt. Uh, I'm not really sure how to feed myself. And I feel like I might be doing something wrong. So my goal is really to eliminate that. And then the other thing that I do is I, um, I now have a professional training course where I teach the research evidence and also the knowledge translation piece to folks like birth workers, doulas, midwives, nutritionists who are supporting their clients. Their clients have lots of questions about this and they just don't feel like they have had any um, training on that area. So that's a really fun thing for me. And teaching has always been a part of what I do. Um, I also teach at one of our top nutrition schools here in Canada on this as well. So it's fun. I love the teaching aspect as well. Wow. It sounds so interesting. And as a self-proclaimed non-chef, 
I am yes. intrigued about some of these recipes that you have. And I like how you brought up the, the things that you have created are time sensitive because most moms don't have a lot of time. Absolutely. And we don't need to feel bad about that. That is our day-to-day life. That's just a fact. We need food to not be something that we feel like should have to take over and be something we do for an hour or two a day. We need to figure out the strategies that work. So if we only have 20 minutes of food prep somewhere during the day, it doesn't even have to be before dinner. Maybe our food prep time is like when our breakfast is heating up on the stove. If we have some oats or something boiling on the stove for 10 minutes, maybe that's the time, right? That we chop some things that we're going to use for dinner. And so I want everybody to feel more empowered and confident that they can eat well with just a little bit of time and not hours. Yeah. So you are a mom as well. Tell me a little bit about your journey in becoming a mom. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a mom of two girls who are nine and almost seven in two weeks. And I have to tell you that I'm just flabbergasted that my kids are this age and that I don't have technically little kids anymore. And that's very hard for me in my mindset of my self-identity as a mom. Um, So I became a mom back in 2014, I suppose. So my first pregnancy was in 2013. And at that time, I really was, and you know, it was it was a great experience for me. I had a very, very good pregnancies, not much to complain about. I didn't have huge morning sickness. It was a fairly, you know, the path, walking that path was fairly easy for me. I was very fortunate. Um, but where I struggled with both of my kids was in the postpartum time. And so I know that that's a story that many people can relate to was, you know, I was in that pregnancy bubble both times, hearing lots of things about how to support myself, support my baby. And then I had the babies and was absolutely stricken by that experience and a lack of information about myself right? Lots of information about here's how to care for a baby. Here's how to change a diaper. Here's what to look for. Like no fevers. This is when you need to seek help. But what about me? And so I struggled a lot. I The big thing for me was in the sleep deprivation and how that exasperated my um, physical self, my mental health, experiencing a lot of anxiety, a lot of um, just harmful thoughts, that sort of thing in my postpartum experience. And um, for me, it really boiled down to Asleep, I think, was a really big part. And I think what I've learned now in hindsight is I sort of went with the flow and felt like, well, women do this every day, right? Or have babies and go through this time. Like I can do that as well. And I really didn't stop. Or I, and I, I feel like the the conversation, the narrative is now changing a little bit. But I didn't ever really stop and think like it's okay. You you deserve to take this time. Like you can look out for yourself. If all you need to do today is lie in bed, like that's okay. If you need to get some kind of professional support outside of your main doctor, like not even necessarily just mental health support, but like someone that can help you with the physical recovering, like pelvic floor physiotherapy. If you need to go see somebody for who's an expert in caring for your postpartum self in some way. Um, I never really allowed myself to to feel those things and to seek that kind of support. So looking back now and seeing the narrative start to shift, I think it's such a good thing and something that I wish that the, that I sort of had my eyes open to, I think at that time. Mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that the narrative is shifting a bit 
And I can totally relate as a mom to two girls who are eight and five. They're not babies anymore. I've got kind of big. Oh, it's, it's, it's very interesting. And I know everybody says like, it goes by fast, like, you know, enjoy it. And that's such a hard thing to hear. Um, But on the other side of it, it really is just wild um, being in this new stage of parenting and just feeling like, wow, like, where did that time go? Yeah, I can totally relate. Now, I got to ask you a few things about what I notice with a lot of people I work with. And just personally, I know that iron deficiencies are very typical in the perinatal period. And I know that other vitamin deficiencies like B12 and D are things that are not uncommon. Tell me if you have ideas on ways that the food doula can support those deficiencies. Yeah, absolutely. So iron is a really big one. It's the biggest one that we see um, in pregnancy. And it's so common by the third trimester for many, many pregnant women that it almost feels like a casual, like, oh, you're anemic or you're iron deficient, but like, so is everybody else. And we kind of just like go on with our life, maybe get an iron supplement. But although it's common, it's actually not physiologically normal. We don't want to be low iron or even anemic in pregnancy. We we don't. It's it, it's We need it to feel good. We need that iron there to support baby's brain development. And the interesting thing with iron is that our needs for it increase as our pregnancy progresses. So one of the things that I teach clients and talk about a lot is that we shouldn't wait till the third trimester, ideally to consider our iron when we're told it's low. It's it's pretty tricky to bring up our iron levels at that time. So if you're early in pregnancy, maybe in the first trimester or second trimester, now is a really good time to start to prioritize our high iron foods. So our, our body likes iron from animal proteins best. That's where we find iron that's called heme iron. Our body will absorb more from those sources. So that's things like our animal meats, organ meats, um, beef, chicken, poultry, fish. We're going to get most iron from there. And if you don't eat animal sources of protein, where we want to find our iron is going to be in things like legumes, beans, some nuts and seeds, dried fruit, leafy greens. And a good tip that I think everybody can use no matter where in pregnancy they are, and even in postpartum, many of us have iron deficiency after pregnancy is always having something colorful on your plate. That's a really great strategy for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks. So if you think, let me look at my plate, can I add one color to this? Maybe it's seasonal, you're gonna add a peach or raspberries. Maybe you're going to add a little side salad. Maybe you're gonna toss in some asparagus or leeks into your omelet, whatever you're making for dinner. If you add one extra color, not only are you getting lots of amazing micronutrients and fiber and antioxidants, you're adding vitamin C. And when we add vitamin C, our body takes in more iron from our food. So that's an easy way where you don't actually have to do much different you just add something of color and your body's going to be better at absorbing iron from your food. And so that's an easy thing to look at, I think, day to day that doesn't take very much time. It can be whatever fruit or vegetable you have in your fridge that needs to be used up or that you prepped for the week. If you have it on your plate each time you sit down, that's going to be really helpful. That's a great tip. And I'm kind of sitting here thinking, I wonder, and you might get this question a lot, but I'm wondering, what do you eat? What does a day in the life of a food doula look like? Yeah, for sure. And I'm happy to share that. I just want to preface it with 
everybody is so unique in their hunger levels, which is really interesting to me when I work with clients. I actually have them take pictures of their food because I find it's not the same if you look at what someone has written or verbally said they eat, but then you actually look at their plate. There, It tells me so many different things about our different hunger levels, like the different proportions that we have. So there's, there's much more to um, our individual eating patterns that are really different person to person. But for me, something that I'm a big fan of is first and second breakfast. So I'll say that this is something that I live by that just works for my body specifically, which is I wake up and I always have within typically the first half an hour of waking, I have something that is easy and high protein that isn't going to, you know, wake up the house. There's no banging dishes. Like my mind isn't totally on yet. So lately what I've been doing is I do cottage cheese with hemp seeds, and then sometimes I'll put in some fruit. So right now I have all these beautiful fresh peaches. I've been using those or blueberries. So that's how I start my day. And then I'm a tea drinker in the morning. So I'll have a cup of tea after that. And then when I get hungry again, I have what I I call my second breakfast. So I don't want to label it. It's not really a snack because this is a bigger meal for me. This is what is going to fuel me for most of the rest of my work day. So for me, I am always a go-to on eggs. So I will do an egg skillet typically where I'll try and do a couple of eggs. I'll throw in um, some whatever vegetables I have lying around into the skillet. Sometimes it's just leftovers from dinner. Like I'll have, maybe we did um, some sort of grilled vegetable tray the night before I'll just heat up whatever is left with my eggs and call it a day, put an egg on top. So super easy, an omelet, something like that, maybe with a piece of sourdough or some avocado on the side or like a little side salad, but usually it revolves around eggs. And then for, um, later in the afternoon, this is where I struggle the most, I would say is because I have sort of that big meal. And again, I let my hunger guide me. Sometimes that second breakfast is at like, 9.30. And sometimes that second breakfast is at like 11. So where I find I struggle is then, you know, two o'clock, two thirty, three o'clock rolls around. And I sort of forget, I have to remind myself, okay, I had that second breakfast, but that was at like 10. I need, I need to stop my work and have a, a full meal or a larger snack. So at that time I will usually have, um, a snack plate, which I find because I'm in the, I'm a big like afternoon work person. That's when I do my biggest focus work. So I don't stop and like get pans and pots out or anything like that. I keep things in my fridge or prep them in advance so I can just put together a snacking plate. So maybe I'm doing, I'd like to do cut up cucumbers um, or vegetables. I'll do like some sliced cheeses, meats, handful of nuts. If I made something like a a snack bar or something like that, I'll add that to the plate. And then I can just sort of munch on it while I continue my work, but I'm prioritizing feeding myself. And then that typically will take me to dinner. And then dinner, I basically make the recipes that are in my cookbook um, that I feed my family because they're easy and nourishing and yummy. So that's typically something I like to prioritize vegetables to fill, you know, half of my plate, but that's not something I'm strict with. Some days it doesn't happen. Some days it does. Um, so I'll often do a um, big tray of vegetables of some sort, whether I'm tossing them into pasta sauce or I'm having them on the side or we're tossing, um, we're having them in soup, something like that with the protein. So I eat animal protein. So it changes day to day. And um, depending on a grain I have, I don't need it at dinner, but I'll, I'll include it because my kids love it. So like a rice or quinoa pasta, that sort of thing. But that's, that's pretty much the day. And then if we want dessert, 
we have it. I love the recap. Thank you for walking us through it. And I'm thinking about how you said you let your hunger guide you. And then you also said you make a bit of a conscious effort to eat as well. And I think that's a really hard balance to strike, but also really crucial. Tell me a little bit about what you noticed in some of your thinking around those concepts. Absolutely. And I think that's a great point that you um, sort of narrowed in on because this is the thing that we just need to bring our attention to and practice over time. So the first piece is the being led by hunger, which is something that I've worked on for many, many years in my food relationships. We're, we grow up, we become teenagers, and we sort of get into this habit of feeling like we have to eat certain things at certain times. Um, maybe some of us were raised like you have to finish everything on your plate. Sort of we've turned away from our own intuition around what our body needs, how much, when are we full, when are we hungry, that, that sort of thing. So I think that looking at our meals and being aware of what it actually feels like in our body when we're hungry, when we're over hungry to the point we actually feel sick. Um, And then the same thing of our fullness. When are we like actually good versus like I'm stuffed. And then again, a little further, there's what's called the hunger scale. A little further at the end is when it's like, I could, I could probably maybe even throw up because I'm so, I really stuff myself so much. So it's getting the feel of how that feels in your body. And so I really try and listen to when my body needs food and honor it. And as I mentioned, and this is something I talk a lot about in pregnancy and postpartum is honoring that even when it's different. So as I mentioned, sometimes I'm hungry at nine and then sometimes not till 11 for my second breakfast. And that's okay. I I don't judge it now. And I think in pregnancy and postpartum, that can be a struggle when it's different than what we've regularly experienced. And maybe we've labeled it as, well, that is not good or not desirable. And instead of looking at it, like your body's really wise and smart, and it's, it's really not going to steer you wrong. There's lots going on in your body that might cause you to have more hunger or less. That's also okay. It's going to ebb and flow. And same with postpartum, I find it surprising to a lot of my clients that their hunger increases instead of decreases um, from compared to when they were pregnant. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of the, the coin, as you mentioned, I have to consciously tell myself that I need to stop and eat later in the day when I'm really focused in my work. I'm hungry, but I know myself and I know I will push my hunger during that time because I will sort of forget that I need to have a meal, that it's been quite a number of hours since I've eaten. So I need to sort of do some self-talk there that is around, you deserve nourishment. You you need to eat. You need to get this these nutrients. It's going to help you feel better today. It's going to help you focus for the next couple of hours to finish your day. And that reminder, if you don't, then you're going to be so hungry by four or five. You're going to be like a maybe hangry while you're trying to get kids home and you're trying to make dinner. Like no one wants to feel like that. So I do sort of have to give myself that self-talk of you deserve to stop. You deserve to feed yourself. You deserve to feed yourself well, that you don't need to just grab like a couple crackers from the pantry. You deserve to make yourself a proper plate of food that makes you feel good. So that's, again, something that I've worked on over the years that I think is really critical to feeling good and also knowing that we deserve to take care of ourselves. Yeah, I think the other point that I'm hearing you make is this relationship with food. And what I'm hearing from you 
is that it has been a bit of a journey. And I think that's very relatable for most moms, women, people, that our relationship with food can change. And what have you noticed for yourself in terms of a change with food relationships over time? Absolutely. I think our food relationships are always in flux. They're always changing. It's something that's always there. Um, And it's something that we often don't put the spotlight on. We think of, you know, what meals we like, what meals we don't like, like whether we feed ourselves or we don't, but there is this underlying layer of what is our relationship with food. And so for me personally, going through a teenage um, timeline that was characterized by some more disordered eating and, you know, um, weight loss focused, everything, especially when I first actually started training in nutrition at the beginning of my university career, that was the the primary um, or one of the primary goals of nutrition, even taught in university at that time, was about uh, calories, weight loss, and that sort of thing was very weight focused. So that was sort of the spotlight on my early relationship with food was how does this relate to my body and my body size and calories and that sort of thing. So it, the biggest change for me in terms of my relationship with food was turning that off. And that that's that's something that took years for me. And that's perfectly okay. That's not something that happens overnight. But instead, looking at food as a multifaceted um, component of my life and how I want to live it. So knowing that I deserve nourishment, that nourishment is, yes, the beautiful nutrients and energy we get from food, but it's also pleasure and enjoyment and comfort and nostalgia and connection. And all of these other things are also really valid in our food relationships. And so making room for all of those things. And then I'm really big on intuitive eating. So listening to our hunger cues, but also allowing us to set the boundary of what feels good in our body and what doesn't. That doesn't have to do, at least for me, what I've really worked on that doesn't have to do with body size, but actually has to do with how different foods react in my own body. So for instance, um, I don't eat a lot of gluten. When I do, the way that I feel in my body, for me, it's actually more neurological. I'll get more headaches. I'll feel more fatigued. And so knowing that, then it's it's a piece of self-respect for me, as opposed to something that is coming from restriction. It's actually a way that I care for my body. I know actually I don't have that as a huge part of my my the way that I feed myself because intuitively I know that my body doesn't do great with that. Whereas I know when I say start my day with a protein-focused breakfast, making sure I'm having protein and lots of plants, I know I feel way more energy. I don't get an energy slump in the afternoon. I feel like I have energy to go all day and all of these things. So knowing that we deserve to feel that way. And that we don't have to just put up with the way we think we should eat, the way that we feel. We don't have to chalk it up to just how we are. There there actually are things that we can learn about ourselves and how feeding ourselves plays a role in, in the life we want to live. That makes a lot of sense. I like the idea of intuitive eating. And one of the things that I have found to be helpful personally and then professionally is just being aware of hunger and fullness. And you mentioned hunger and fullness scales. I love to get people to just to kind of evaluate what does it mean to feel hungry for you? What does it mean to feel full? And then particularly with the perinatal population, so with moms who are pregnant or postpartum, making a conscious effort to notice that because there's so many other things you're paying attention to during that time period. And sometimes your own hunger and fullness is oftentimes just put to the wayside. 
Yeah, exactly. And we, many of us go through many years where that's just the case. We sort of trained away our food intuition. And so I talk about with babies that they're born intuitive eaters, right? You can sort of trust a baby when you're feeding in that feeding journey with a baby to know when they've had enough to know when they're hungry, they'll communicate that with you, right? Like they know this. So we just need to sort of come back to that knowing of how that feels in our body. Yeah. So you've got these kids who are in elementary school, at least by US standards. What are their favorite things that you make? Oh gosh. Yeah. They're so sweet. And something that's so funny is I find this is true in lots of professions. And I'm not sure if you've seen this in your own, but both of my kids are pretty apprehensive eaters. And so I find that that's the case sometimes among nutrition professionals. It's these people who value this so much, you know, through one avenue or another, their kids end up maybe not being the most adventurous eaters. But I really feel like sometimes that's a label that I put on them. But then if I really take stock of how they eat, they actually are fairly good eaters. So the favorite things, they're so sweet. They'll go through my book and they will be like, I love this and I love this. And sometimes it's things where I'm like, you've never eaten that. But thank you for that. (laughs) If it's like, you know, like a salmon dish or something that's like a little more adult palate. So they love my snacks. So I could feed them like, Honestly, anything that's nut butter based, date based, oat based, like if you make a some kind of energy ball or a muffin or an oat bar for my kids, they'll eat it. It doesn't matter what's in it. Um, my it's so interesting for me, my eldest, the biggest thing for us in our in her um food relationships around vegetables and getting her as a toddler and young child to like vegetables was planting a veggie garden. So we've had great success with planting veggie gardens at our house and having that as a really great, you know, all senses involved um, opportunity to learn to like vegetables. And um, for my other daughter, an interesting thing about the way that she eats is she loves like sauces. So she loves like all different curries and things like that. So for us, she might not be open just yet to eating maybe some of the things we would traditionally put in our curries, like a protein and other vegetables, cooked veggies. But for her having the sauce on her plate with some nan or something like that, getting her to like one component of the meal and then adding on from there, that's been really good for us. Some really good suggestions there. I love the vegetable garden idea. Yeah, it's been really lovely for us because it's, you know, it it lasts for months having them go to the store, pick out what they want to grow, be part of actually planting it, watering it, and then you can't help but taste it. So my daughter now, when we have an herb garden, she'll go out and she'll just eat herbs off, off the planters like all day, every day. She loved to learn tomatoes that way, lettuce. So although she's a kid that won't eat many things, even some other kids will eat, like she won't eat rice. She won't eat, um, some different animal proteins, cooked veggies, but you put a salad in front of her and she'll love it. So just trying to lean into the things that they like and know that it's just, again, it's like us, it's a journey, right? Like it's just going to keep growing and developing. And so I try and model like, well, I'm loving this. Like, that's okay. If you only want one component of what I'm eating, I'm loving it. You see me eat this all the time. And I know, I know it's just going to grow. I know they're going to get there. Well, if people want to get your cookbook, how do we find it? Yes. So um, you can come check me out on Instagram where I am um, over there as at the.food.doula. So we're having some 
issues with Amazon right now. So the best way to get the book is to actually go through the publisher, um, which is called Plumleaf Press, which is linked in my Instagram bio. So that's the best way to do it. If you have any questions about how to do it, feel free to send me a DM or an email. Great. Well, I thank you so much for being here. And before we finish, let me just ask you, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you feel like would be helpful for me to know or for us to kind of hear from you? That's a great question, Jill. And thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be here with you. Um, I don't think so. There's nothing coming to mind. I really love that we've talked about some of these foundational issues with feeding that pregnant, postpartum, or really any time are part of the way that we feed ourselves and care for ourselves. Like I love that we talked about hunger and intuitive eating. And I just really want to leave people with this not this knowing and this confirmation that it's perfectly okay if you want to eat things just for joy. And it's perfectly okay if you're hungrier than you were yesterday. If you need to have a snack at one in the morning because you're up feeding baby or you need to have two breakfasts or three breakfasts, that's okay. That is perfectly normal and you should feed yourself in a way that feels good for you. Well, I'm excited to continue to follow you on Instagram and see some of your really cool ideas for snacks and foods and different information, education on all this. So I so appreciate you taking the time to talk. Of course. Thank you for having me.